Okie doke. So a little bit of review from last class. So what we kind of went through is we were talking about how we're, we're trying to figure out, well, our main question, well, what emotion are we going to receive at Harsinai? And, you know, we were presented this Pusik that was listing off all these, you know, nice little ideas, you know, all these nice little things that God, that God gave Moshe Rabbeinu. And, and we're just kind of listing off, well, what does each mean? What does it mean that he gave the Luchos? What does it mean he gave Mishnah? What does it mean he gave Chumash? What does it mean he gave Navi and Gemara? Well, how are these things different? That's our fundamental question that we're dealing with, first of all. Once we answer that, we're going to get to, well, great. Now that we know all the things he could have received... Did he? What did Moshe receive at Harsinai? So I present the idea that what Judaism really is fundamentally is not a rule book of moral guidelines, laws, but is a science how to measure and weigh them. And that really was the, 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 the basic idea behind, well, what are the Ten Commandments? It's not that they are a list of rules, but the main thing to take away from the Ten Commandments is it's a list. There are priorities. There are different uh, uh, values that we have to weigh, and context demands that sometimes you'll have to put one value in front of the other. But it's, a, it's something that you have to work to balance. That's the idea. And it kind of got me thinking, you know, if you look at any religion, you look at its name. You kind of figure out what problem it's trying to solve. And it seemed to fit very nicely with, well, Judaism, Am Yisrael, that's really what we're called. You know, it's only because the Romans gave us a nasty nickname they were calling us Jews. The real name of our religion is Am Yisrael. Well, kind of comparing it a little bit, like if you look at Islam, they have one fundamental problem. Hubris, arrogance, and the name of the religion, Islam, means submission to God. Stop being arrogant. That's the problem they're trying to solve. Or say with, with Buddhism. You know, Buddhism means being awake. You know, the problem they're trying to solve is people living their lives blindly. Well, wake up. That's the problem they're trying to solve. But what's cool, you know, Catholicism, Protestantism, I mean, they're the same thing. I mean, Protestantism, what they're trying to solve, well, they're, they're just, they just want to protest. I mean, like, their problem they're trying to solve is everything that came before their religion. You get a sense of what they're trying to tackle. Well, it's interesting, Am Yisrael, because you know, the name itself, a people that struggles with God, that's what the name means. The, there's no, the people, the people that struggles with God. That's what, the, that's what our religion is called. The problem that we're trying to solve is very much in line with this idea of we're struggling with all of existence. There isn't just one problem. There's a load of them. Trying to figure out what the right thing to do is not a straightforward manner. It's not something you just answer. It's something you have to struggle with, and you constantly have to struggle with. There's no one single value. There's no one single rule that governs everything. So in that sense, I think that, you know, that Judaism really very much captures in its name well, the, whole, the, the problem that Judaism is trying to solve is the entirety of existence. There is no one solution to it. So we've, we reviewed what the Chumash was and the Mishnah was, and we, we said, well, the Chumash, what that is, it's a narrative. It's a narrative that... What, that, that 
that through the text, using uh, the you know the thirteen hermeneutical rules of how you how you understand a verse, well, you're drawing out halachas from the text itself. The the Mishnah is each rule in isolation. It's every single law. That's another. That's one way of thinking about it. The decoding of the text, and then the idea we were playing around with was, well, it's kind of it's kind of a rough deal having a Torah Shabbat the written Torah, and the Torah Shabbat It's kind of rough because, well, if you just have a written text, after a while, history will wear down the meaning of the text. You know, go go try reading Gulliver's Travels. It's in English. Good luck trying to read it. I, I, I mentioned I sat down with my daughter. You know, I thought, oh, it's a great, great story. Gulliver's Travels, really cute. And, oh, man, first paragraph is like, no, I am not reading this English book to my daughter. I'm translating the whole thing into dumbed-down modern English, you know? For, that's, that's the problem of a written text. It's frozen in time. Well, what the Mishnah does is, well, it's not just a science of pulling out each halacha from the text, but it's also the... The, the organic livingness of the law, of what the, that's the counterbalance to this problem of the written text. And we kind of we went into the idea of, well, if that's the case, why did they ever write down the Mishnah? Because it's forbidden, <coughs> it's prohibited. <coughs> and we had the idea that, well, sometimes in order to save Judaism, you have to break a couple laws. Again, hierarchy of values, the struggle of reality. There's, there's no one answer to the problems of life. And so what Rabbi Yehuda Nasi did was that the, the, the written text itself gives permission. There is a, uh, an emergency halacha, you could call it, that when all is failing, take it easy, man. And, and, and there was a permission for him to write down a text, even though it was a prohibition. Navi, we, I was, we were kind of looking at that as, as Navi is a call to tshuva, to, to correct oneself, not just the individual, but all of society. And that while it's necessary for society to, to um, it, they're, they're just naturally speaking, there are hierarchies in society. I mean, like, there, there is a pecking order of life. There are people who are more competent than you. There are more people who are more intelligent than you. And they will actually do better than you. That's the reality. Well... When you have a group of people who are just doing way better and lack moral conviction, well, that just leads to a dictatorship. That leads to tyranny. And so it was the job of the Navi to protect the Jewish people from their own arrogance, making sure that the king, rem- or making sure the king remembered, you're not the king, there is someone above you. And that's the goal of Navi. So each part of this serves a slightly different Function. What was the Mishnah's goal, again, to, to be able to read the original text and understand it? Is, is translating, pulling out halacha from the written text and, and trying to keep it organic, even though Rabbi Yehuda Nasi had to write it all out, the goal was to try and keep it a living, uh, a living law. As best he could. So he, he wrote it in tricks, he wrote it in different ways that made it, that demanded a decoding. Okay. So today, what I wanted to cover is, well, what's Gemara? What's that beast? 
So there's two aspects of Gemara. Rav Shurgon wrote in his, he wrote a great book about really outlining the history of, of, of the development of halacha. And he makes quite plainly clear that Gemara is a book of Psach. It is, it is, it is the, the final decision in halacha. And when the Gemara was finished being written, that's it. Halacha is sealed for eternity. There's no more creating new halachas. There's no more pulling new halachas out of verses. Now we're just stuck with the system that we have, and that's that. So that's, that's one part of what Gemara is. But it is, it's a lot more than that. It's a proof text. We're going to get a little bit into gender differences. I, 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 I wonder, I know, is, is it common you guys get in the whole, like, why girls don't learn Gemara thing? All right, well, I want to cover it. And it's not exactly that you shouldn't, but maybe you shouldn't, but maybe you should. My school is mandatory in high school. There you go. Okay. So, so before, before even approaching Gemara, you have to know there's two different obligations to learn. There's not just one. The Shulchan Parav, he's quoting the Rambam. It's really Gemara Kiddushin also. Cites that there is a there is a fundamental obligation to learn halacha. It's called halacha psuka, and everybody's obligated to do that. You're obligated to learn halacha psuka first. That's one of the obligations to learn Gemara. Nope. Hold on. This is just knowing halacha. Okay. So this applies, man, woman, child. Doesn't matter who you are, or what you are. You have to know all halachas, and you have to know them so well that you don't even pause to think if someone asks you a question. That's everyone's obligation. And in fact, you know, even the way that the modern yeshiva system is organized is actually backwards. You know, because nowadays what they do, and there were different reasons, there were social reasons why there was a change in Europe. What they, what they did was um, they kind of figured, well, you know, the, the education system is quite limited. You're probably only going to have like three years, if you're lucky, in yeshiva. So we're going, to get, we're going to try and teach you the most complicated part of it, Gemara, so that in the rest of your life, what you'll be able to do when you don't have access to yeshiva and you're making a living, you're not just making a living. I mean, like, if you think about it, the 1850s, I mean, everyone was living on $1.50 a day. People are starving, and they were starving for the vast majority of human, human existence, like you're surviving. So... You have to address that, but you can't drop Judaism. You got to figure that one out too. So they taught you how to learn Gemara for three years. Another, a very similar to what Rabbi Yehuda Nasi had to do is, in order to save the Torah, he had to break halacha, because brass tacks. The fundamental halacha is you must learn halacha psuka first, and then you go on to what we would call Gemara second. That's the second obligation of learning. It's not learning what the halacha is. It's not what you're doing in the second mitzvah. You're not trying to figure out uh, what to properly do, how to straighten your life out. You know, you're not figuring any of these practical things out at all. What you're doing is you're going back and you're taking basically the rest of your life, proving to yourself that the halacha is accurate. It's a very different goal. That's a very different relationship. Yes. 
So it's just about keeping the Judaism strong rather than knowing what it really... Yep. Prove the halacha. Which is really cool because it's like, that, that's placing a heavy emphasis on, on individual agency. It's like, you don't, you, don't, you don't just trust whatever anybody tells you. We talked about this before. Like, you have an obligation to work these things out. Thing that's right. Don't be gullible. That's a part of this. Now, we got a problem. Because, well, I don't know if you guys caught this, but men and women happen to be very different. I don't say. And what I want to do, I, I, I thought it was worthwhile kind of reviewing what I got out of this anyway, was looking at, well, well what are the differences in personality between men and women? And because this is the kind of question I've been kind of struggling with, well, why? You know, like, well, why wouldn't you, why would it not be advised for some women to learn Gemara? Because it's not, yeah. Sorry, sorry. You're fine. You're good. Like, because we switched this whole thing, that also might mean that women should also learn Gemara if men are now, because everyone has learned Halakha. So Everyone's learning, got on halacha. So if we're learning Gemara in order to keep halacha, so then... It's not so much to keep halacha. It's to prove the halacha is accurate for yourself. So women also need to prove that. Yes, they do. The question is how. Oh, so both are different. The question is kind of how. Because when you... What, what I'm kind of... The theory I'm putting in front of you guys is... Oh, man, I'm trying to remember who... The... Was it, what was this guy's name? He was a Canadian scholar. He was. He was. His his focus of research was media. He said. He said. Me, no. 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 He said. No. 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 He said. He said. He said. He said media. It was. He said media determines what is true. Okay. Meaning. Well, this is a kind of interesting thought. You know, like you look at say how 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 books present information, how TV presents information. Like, they're very different. You know, I mean, nowadays you have these long-form conversations. You know, Joe Rogan, like, talk with someone for five hours straight on any topic. That's really interesting. TV's not built for that. The way TV works is you, if you're lucky and interesting, you get seven minutes on air and only seven minutes on air, and you have to dumb down whatever you have to say because, again, you're interesting, so you have to take that interesting thing, dumb it down to seven minutes, and that's basically a lie. That's a good question. Basically, that's a lie. Like news yeah, news, TV programs, documentaries, th that's basically a lie. There's some truth to it, but if you, just fundamentally, if you take a very complicated piece of information and just rip the guts out of it, that no longer is what you're talking about. Now I'm not I'm I, I I'm I'm I have you know lie and scare quotes because there's some truth to it but it's such a dumb down version of truth if you actually you know put the five hour long form discussion of Joe Rogan against the three minute you know Headliner. whatever it is like uh yeah Joe Rogan's truth like I'm going with that guy yeah, okay so nice so what I what I'm sell, what I, what I'm trying to like suggest here. What I'm suggesting here is that the medium matters. The, the, the tool you use to present information might actually be more important than the information itself. It's like the problem-solving skill as opposed to like the problem and the solving. So what I, yeah, kind of, yeah it's a very similar idea. So what, what, what I kind of came to kind of looking at you know, my own experience being, you know, learning Gamara and all this, it's a very male-based text. Like, as a personality type. So I'm going to walk through that a little bit in the 15 minutes I have left. 
and you'll tell me what you think. Okay. So we talked a little bit about this before. Then your personality types are basically made up of five different personality constructs. Being open, conscientious, are you, how much of an extrovert are you, how agreeable are you, and how neurotic are you? That's basically it. Those are the five. You know, being agreeable is really, well, how empathic, how kind are you, how altruistic are you? Being neurotic is, well, how threat-sensitive are you? You look at the world and it's kind of like there are people who feel there's more danger in what's going on than others. That's a personality type. Being extroverted is, well, how social are you? You know, when you go to parties, do you feel energized and refreshed? Or do you feel like me, worn out? Man, I am not fun at parties. You know, how open are you? Do you like playing with ideas? Do you like art? How flexible are you in, in playing with, with ideas and concepts? And conscientious, well, just how hardworking are you? You know, just, there's some people, and this is a funny one because it's not quite like, feeling good about working. It's more like the more people who are very conscientious, it's like if they're not working, if they're not pushing themselves, they feel like someone's ripping their guts out. Like it's a funny personality type. It's not exactly positive feeling. It's like you have to work. Personality type of what? Of you. Like what? No, so I can give you an example. I'm, I'm going to give you my personality construct. This is what I look like. I'm pretty open. I'm high in conscientiousness. I'm more introverted, but I'm on the line. I'm extremely agreeable, and I'm not so neurotic. That's my personality construct. Does neurotic go like anxiety, or is it yep. like danger, danger? Yeah, you are more like, and that, that's, that's oh, one. Like more prone to it's more prone to anxiety and depression, negative feeling. What about the working, the work, working one you were just saying? What does that have to do with? That this, this feeling the need to do, being, have to be busy, have to yeah, work. What's that called? Like, Conscientiousness. Oh. Yeah. So, women and men have very, very different personalities. Is it all people? Yes and no. Why does everyone get it? I'm going to get it because there's, there's a lot of corners and nooks we can fall into. So, I'm going to try and go through this a little bit here. So, as far as these big five are concerned, women are more agreeable by a lot more agreeable. Men are disagreeable as sin. I mean, this is one reason why, why, well, you know, 90% of prisons are filled with men, not women. That's why men are disagreeable by nature. Women are more neurotic. They are more threat sensitive. That's kind of like we're kind of saying, like, there are higher rates of anxiety and depression. It's like it's the double, uh, more or less, and there's some variation where you go. But that's just a part of being a part of the female race. What's interesting is that being neurotic does not mean you're more or less angry or hostile. Men and women are just as angry. That's, that's dead even. Women have to be more conscientious than men, but not by much. Um, again, that's self-discipline, more organized, um, you know, uh, more in control uh, of what they're doing. Uh, but there's a lot of cultural variation. It kind of depends what culture you're from. But by and large, that's the general rule no matter where you are in the world. And women are slightly more extroverted than men are. There's no difference in openness. Men and women are just as open as, as, as one another are. But what is interesting is, well, you know, researchers kind of worked this out, and the science is solid on this. Um, they said, okay, great, well, 
even the way I'm kind of defining these five terms, they said, well, let's break this down into more, more uh, specific categories and see what we, come up, come, what we come up with. So they broke down agreeableness as compassion or polite. And it turns out women are just way more compassionate than men, and they're way more polite. I thought this was really cool. There was a, there was a research study. What they did was they it was, they were having uh, there were three people, three groups of people in the game. Let's say there's you in the experiment. We're actually studying you, and they had two people who were in on the experiment, but you didn't realize it. And you're all playing a game, and one person who's in on the experiment is playing nice, and the other person is playing mean. And the catch in the game is that when you lose, you get in a little electric shock. So what they found was there was a huge gender difference in the way that men and women looked at the selfish player. Because when women saw, and men both, when they saw the nice player get shocked, well, they had a lot of empathy. It was as though their mirror neurons were firing. It was as though they themselves were experiencing the shock. They felt compassion and empathy for the poor guy who's getting the zap. But what about the selfish player? Dramatic differences. For men, um, it felt good. He deserved it. There was a lot of pleasure for men seeing this guy get his just desserts. Women did not feel pleasure. There was a slight drop in empathy, but it wasn't statistically significant. Couldn't quite prove there was much of a difference between the nice player and selfish player when it came to empathy. Women are more empathic, and it's much harder to get women to feel, ah, got him. That's a very male quality. Again, men are disagreeable. Keep this in mind when you get married. And polite. Women are polite. This kind of gets into, well, more so, and I think that when we kind of like break down all the differences between men and women, like, well, what's the underlying reason why men and, dif- men and women are different? It seems to be because, well, men don't have babies, basically. Like, we, we're in, men are more like individualistic. You know, I, who do I have to basically worry for, worry about? My, me, myself, and I. That's more male. But like, women's bodies are, are designed to support life. Like you carry babies again. I hope I'm not breaking any 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 uh, any big big news flashes here. But like you make babies and then care for them and keep them alive. Like your identity is I with. Men are not I with. So I think that's a fair way of looking at all these differences. Kind of the underlying explanation is women support life. Keep it up, you know. They broke down conscientiousness as well. They, 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 they made the categories of how industrious, how hardworking are you, and orderliness. Well, here again, men were more industrious, but women were, much, were, were more orderly. For extroversion, they broke it into enthusiasm and assertiveness. Women are very enthusiastic. You're very gregarious, positive emotion. You guys, like, enjoy life. Once again, keep it up. Men are very assertive. It's not just we're disagreeable, but we like to dominate. Again, this individualness of man. And then they broke up openness to, well, intellectual, like people who like to play with ideas, and this sort of openness to aesthetics and feelings. Well, women are very aesthetic. Who designs the home? 
That's right, women, and also me. I, I'm also very aesthetically oriented. Um, but women do. My wife beats me on that. I didn't have much say, and that's fine. And men like to play with ideas. This is, this is one reason why men mostly are going into the STEM fields, because they're just, I, they love playing with ideas. You know? STEM fields, science, mathematics, technology. That's, that they have a, it's not that no women likes that sort of stuff, but it's mostly a male character trait. Men like to play with ideas, and we're disagreeable, and we're not so polite, and that's just the way we roll. Okay. So breaking this down, what is the female personality type? Well, women are compassion, women, compassionate, they're polite, they're orderly. A little volatile, because, you know, again, threat sensitive. They're very enthusiastic. More prone to withdraw. Again, you know, fear, you know, got to watch out. The world's dangerous because you have to take care of your baby. It's like, well, there's a reason why women are more neurotic. It's because more is riding on it. You have to protect your family. You lose more than men when there's trouble. It pays off to be more threat sensitive. And you're more open. Like playing, again, playing with, playing with aesthetics and feelings. That's women. Men scored higher on assertiveness. And again, the more playing with ideas. That's their personality type. And what was kind of interesting, again, I'm getting a little more complicated, is like, well, things influence, obviously, our personality types. Society influences it. Age influences it. And so researchers for a long time used to believe that society was the main um, influencer of personality. So Europe ran a really interesting social experiment. I mean, all of Western society ran a very interesting social experiment where places like Sweden or Norway um, very much trying to, 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 to have this, this sort of within the system equality of outcomes. Make sure 50-50, the parliament is 50-50 men and women. Make sure in schools it's 50-50 men and women. Make sure in, as, in the nursing business, 50-50 men and women and lawyers, 50-50. So what they found was the more free a society is, the more Western a society is, the more society is saying, no, everybody's the same. We're trying to make sure that nothing stands in your way of you being you. Well, what they thought was that it would actually be 50-50. They actually thought that there would be 50% male nurses and 50% female nurses. But it was the exact opposite. That the more free a society becomes, the more dramatic gender differences become. So in places like the United States, in places like Norway, in places like Sweden, men and women are much more different in the way I've outlined. As opposed to, say, Iraq, funnily enough, you'd think, well, that's a masculine culture. It's actually the personality types between men and women are much smaller in those cultures. So society does play a factor in it, but not the way we thought. That, again, the, again, the, the idea of being more free allows the different genders to be different, basically. I thought yeah. in those places, like Sweden and stuff, they're more gender fluid. Nope. That is not true. Is it Switzerland? Did you say Switzerland also? All these countries. All these countries are not, it's not true. And it's like very not true. The, it's it's kind of it's kind of cool to know is, is you know, in research you kind of have to like keep an eye out. Like there's some research projects that are not as good as others. The gold standard is if you can get your research paper in the magazine Science, that is like, that's close to Harsini right there. 
And very, very few psychological research gets in that magazine because of the high standards, the very high standards it has. So this research is so good, it got into science. Like, it's, it's, it's undisputed. It's undisputed. And it's the exact opposite conclusion everyone thought it was going to be, which is, makes it even a cooler uh, thing to, to, to learn about. Age also plays a role. What you kind of see is that the, everything almost kind of flips the older you get. So, like, for example, you know, around age 50, 60, take, take neuroticism, for example. There's a flip. Women are like, no, the world's fine. They become less threat sensitive, and men just become way more, way more neurotic. A lot of these actually flip later in life. But it's around age 50, 60, where you really see the shift. So the theory I got is this. You know, taking, taking, taking all of this at, um, you know, uh, taking all this information here, putting it on the table. Well, you look at the Gemara. The Gemara, it's, well, it's not just a text, first of all. This is like one mistake people make. It's not a book you read. I mean, in fact, like reading itself only started like, like reading silently really started like 200 years ago. Like it used to be, like the Jewish people are an exception because like we're, we were always a very highly literate culture, but it was like reading is, reading silently to absorb information is a new thing. What reading used to be was instructions to act out something. That's what Gemara is. The basic structure of a Gemara is you'll have a statement of halacha, a challenge to the statement, a refutation against the challenge, and, a, and at some point you'll have a disproof at the very end. I mean, this is basically the structure of Gemara, but you're not supposed to read the thing. You're supposed to act it out. You're supposed to act out the kash, create the difficulty, create the disproof against the statement, create the, the, the terrors, create the resolution of the difficulty. It's something you, as a person, you do. It's a behavior. It's not reading. It's not absorbing information. So it's like a text like that is very much rooted in behavior. It's rooted in personality. So you kind of look at the way the Gemara is structured. Well, it's very combative. Very disagreeable. Yeah, half the time it's like, shh, shh. And it can be very threatening. You know, if you're supposed to act out trying to show someone's wrong, well, that's kind of scary. I get a little anxious. It ruined my day. If you're threat sensitive, it, it lacks clarity. You go through a Gemara, it's not like it gives you the halacha so easily. You have to fight for it. There's, it's not. And the ox comes to the Yeah, yeah, the whole thing. It's not an orderly text. Again, women are orderly, men aren't so much. We're in, men are more industrious. We'll work for it. We have this sort of compelling, like I said, this compellingness of like, I have to work, otherwise my guts are being pulled out feeling. It's like, women don't have that so much, but that's what you need to learn Gemara. It, it's not polite. I mean, there's, there's very little agreement. I mean, that, the, the entire text is not just fighting, but like positions are so dramatically different. And it favors being assertive. It favors a personality type a person that will learn this thing. To be disagreeable. I mean, the, the, the thing that we, you, know, you preach in yeshiva is, you know, you know kill the text. That's a, very, that's a very male message, but that actually is a very good reflection of how to treat what's in front of you. It's very combative in that sense. It's not open on any level. And is not, and it, you know, it might be, you know, I mean, nowadays, you know, like the page layout 
you can, you know, it's hard not to see patterns when you see the Gemara and the Tosos and the Rashi, but like, it's not an aesthetically pleasing thing to look at. It's not artistic. It's a technical manual that you act out. So it's like on, on every level of every personality construct, it is a text designed for men. Yes. Period. The medium creates the truth. So kind of backing up a little bit and asking the question, well, you know, well then, you know, how, 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 how else are you supposed to figure out to be Mekayim this mitzvah of proving halacha? Well, you do. Some people. Yeah, women. Women. Well, some people, it is my team for. It's your personality type. I mean, it, it's not unheard of for, for, to have women biologists, doctors, and lawyers. I mean, it does happen, you know. It tends to be, though, what, what ends up happening in, in these sort of professions is, you know, like, it, it, the struggle is always, how do you have a family? You know, a lot of, cl some, some clients that I see when they come in, you know, I, I've, I've, I've seen female lawyers and, you know, around, you know, 35, it's like, well, you sacrificed your entire life for your job and you want more than just your job. Like, you want to get married. Like, you want to have kids. Like, how do you do that? Men never, it's like because men have this high conscientiousness, what goes along with that is picking one target and just doing that. That's really more of a male characteristic. So it's like, and again, these are generalities because like if I were to make a graph, you know, like all the, all the differences, they are subtle. It's like, you know, take like agreeableness, for example. Like this would be, this would be, here, you're more agreeable, you're more disagreeable. It mostly overlaps, but there's, there's huge differences on the tails. So it's not like there isn't women who would enjoy doing it, and so fair enough. Like, you know, that might, maybe, maybe it would be nice. And this, sources like the Torah Tamim, or the Chida talks about it a little bit. You know, well, maybe it's not off the table. It's not so clear the Gemara Paskins, it's us, sir. I mean, after all, I mean, there, are class, there are schools that do it. But it's like, you have to be aware of what you're getting into, it's not as though there's hidden information that people are, you know, the evil men are keeping from you. It's like, no, go read the Shulchan Aruch. That's a very beautiful book. It's very orderly. There's no combativeness. It's very agree. You can never get into a fight with your Harusa learning the Shulchan Aruch. It's just law after law after law after law. And it's all there. Everything that's in Shas. Well, not exactly everything in the Shulchan Aruch, because it's written more for modern-day halachas, but the Mishnah Torah, certainly. Every halacha is in the Mishnah Torah. It's a pleasing text. Have fun reading it. I prefer it, to be honest. I mean, like I said, like I'm more agreeable, highly agreeable, than most men are. Like, I kind of prefer it. But you have to know what you're getting into, because personality types can change. They're not completely changeable. It's not like, you know, one day I'm going to wake up and I'm going to be extremely disagreeable. I might become less agreeable. And it's something I actually work on. Knowing I'm agreeable uh, can sometimes get you in trouble because well, when you're agreeable, you let everybody do whatever they want and you kind of breed resentment a little bit in life. Well, you don't want resentment. So we got to watch it. You know, don't be, you know, try, try and live a balanced life. But you, you're never going to wake up one day and be completely different. And so you have to also kind of getting, appreciating this fact of, well, if you're going to dedicate your life to Gemara, and you have to dedicate it, 
You just have to. It's, it's, it's exactly like women becoming lawyers. Like, you have to make a choice. If you're really going to take on this project, it's, it's, it's not a fun thing to do. It's not something you do on the side. Like, to pr the, the goal of learning Gemara is the rest of your life you are constantly proving to yourself the halacha is the way you were told. That's a full-time life choice. Yes? What about, so do you think this applies to, let's say, a man who learned full-time and might learn, like, an hour a day? Does it, like, make a difference in their accepting the halacha because they learn less or more? Well, it definitely demands a question of what takes priority. I mean, like you asked me, I think both men and women should dedicate most of their time to learning straight halacha. Like, the whole reason why the system was created that way was you're only going to have three years of learning. You might as well learn how to learn Gemara properly. But, like, we don't live that way anymore. There's a fair argument to make. And many kolos, many shivas do make this choice of, well, do what you're supposed to do. All pi halacha, you're supposed to learn halacha psuka first. And then move on to Gemara. I mean, it's it's... There's other social factors that make it maybe less less likely, or maybe it is a bad idea, but, but there's something to it, I guess, is what I'm saying. But definitely, if you have like very little time, the, the, the point of halacha is not second-guessing if it's true, it's living it. That's really what you ought to be doing. You know, the, the point of, of living a, a divine life is acting it out, and the priority is knowing what you're supposed to do. And when it comes to... Well, what's a, a, a female version of Gemara? Well, truthfully speaking, there are a lot of books that have been written that are Matim, gender-wise. Mishnah Torah is one of them. But I mean, even more modern books. But also there's a, there's, a, there's a difference of emphasis when it comes to women on relationship. Like, doing the right thing and living a good life, you, you kind of tell you're doing it. You kind of tell in a big way. Experience is a valid way of proving something. It's a valid way. It's one way of many, but it is a valid way. And one can make a fair argument that if your starting position of who you are, what your being is, is I with, as opposed to me, myself, and I, well, it actually might be a better medium to learn truth with. You know, your, your family, your mother, your sisters, your brothers. I mean, like, doing it with somebody. That's, that, that would be perhaps a better, a, better, uh, a better medium for women. So it's so kind of backing up the train here a lot. You know, I'm, I, I, you can't make the argument it is an Isidaraisa. It's not. And it is appropriate for some women. Sure enough, different personality types. I mean, like, I'm putting it on the board right here. Like, I have, a, I, I have classic male and female personality construct. Like, I'm, just, I'm quite confusing with my personality. Like, it happens, you know. There's variation. But you kind of have to, if you're going to make a rule for everybody, you have to make a rule that applies to most people. That's kind of the, the I think, the bottom line with this issue. Does it apply to most people or not? Seems that way. Seems that way. No, it's a very strong eight, so. But you gotta know yourself. You really have to know yourself. You have to know what you're getting into. And it shouldn't, it's like, you know, like, that like here, here's an easier example, you know, like, since this is a male mitzvah, fine, fair enough. But there are certain women, say, you know, Rav Yoel, the Satmar Rebbe's wife, when she passed away, they say, oh, she wears sitsis. 
She said that? Yeah. They saw it? Yeah. They didn't, but she never made a big deal. She never made it political. It wasn't a statement. So you kind of have to know, like, well, what are you doing? Are you serving God? Or are you trying to rub it in someone's face? And there's that other extreme where, like, there are people who do that. And so it's like you can never measure an action based on the action. It's like, well, what's motivating it? It can be very different. And it's kind of the same thing here. It's like, well, know yourself. Figure out what your, what, your, what your goals are. You know, if, you know, fair enough. Like, if you want to not have a family and want to de- dedicate your life to this, well, okay, then you can. And it is tough. And some people pull it off. You know, there are some women that pull it off. There's a lot of, you know, big Robinsons that do, and that's great. You know, but you got to know yourself. And you can't, it's more like, know what you're getting into. That's my bottom line. So it's not necessarily beneficial for women to learn tomorrow. You could spend your time doing something that will help you more. If, if you're a classic woman personality. Yeah, if you're a classic woman. And if you're not, then you're not. Right. Okay. Yeah. Bring, bring us back from that little detour, you know, getting... So that's Gamara. A very disagreeable, aggressive text you have to act out. So we have the question, well, what did Moshe Rabbeinu receive at Harsinai? So the Medrash Rabbah in Shmos gives the opinion that he, that he only learned the Klalim, the general guidelines. How do you derive halacha from the text? He got the Yud Gimel, Yud Gimel Midos, the 13 hermeneutical rules of Darshaning Psukim, of elucidating a text. And who says that? This is the Medrash Rabbah. And it's even kind of funny, the way it's kind of presented is like, well, how could anybody learn the whole Torah in 40 days? Like, that's unrealistic. Come on, he was only there for 40 days. Which I thought was a really interesting difficulty. Because, especially on more nowadays, like people are into miracles. Like miracles are a big thing. Because this would be like the response back, well, who says he couldn't? We're talking about God after all. There's miracles. Mm-hmm. Well, you see, well, wait a second. Like, our religious texts hesitate to use that as, a, as an answer. Because it kind of like miracles are very uh, a specific thing. Miracles prove the existence of God. I mean, the word nace itself, the etymology of it, means flag. You know, it draws attention to the eye. So it's like, is this proving the existence of God? Is that what's going on? Like, because if that's the definition of miracle, like, that's, does that fit the situation? Well, the other side of it is, if you make everything a miracle, what you're basically saying is God was so incompetent, he couldn't make the world he wanted to begin with. That's the trade-off. Is God incompetent or not? No. Right. That's the argument behind this, this position. God's not incompetent. He made the world he wanted. Yes, there are, are miracles, but they're only done in specific circumstances to demonstrate God exists, like Itzias Mitzrayim. That, that is exactly why there were so many open miracles during that event, because we're demonstrating God exists in the universe. But you don't need to necessarily have that in this circumstance. So that, that's something to kind of keep in your pocket when thinking about miracles. I, mean, I, I even kind of think, you know, in the, in the, in the Pesach Haggadah, you know, that, that section where, you know, it, it, the way we read it is almost like pile on the miracles. Like this position says there were 10 and this position 50 and there was really 100. And there's a, there's a, a drama to that. But like, well, wait a second. This is actually a dispute amongst the rabbinic authorities. Like those that say there were fewer miracles, 
their position is, no, God knows how to make a world. That was a value they were less willing to sacrifice and give up. The other side that was advocating more miracles, well, of course they have that value too, but there's more wiggle room for the way they see the world. So that's, that's something to keep in your pocket. The second position is, is found in the Gemara Yushalmi, in the Chagiga. And it's also Menachos seems to be that way also. That point blank, no. It says uh, the position there is that Moshe Benu, he not only got every halacha, but he was able to see into the future every single thing anyone would ever say about Torah. He knew he had it all. He even heard me giving this shear. He knew it all. That's position two. That's position two. Kamar Megillah also seems that way. Even he, even he knew Darabunans that would be created. That's the second position. So it's found in multiple places? This, this position, yeah. So he got how to solve problems. What was the first thing? Like he got, like Moshe got... The general rules. Just the general rules. And then for the next... So there's the 13... Uh, so it would be like the 13 ways to, to pull halacha out of the text. And he got the rundown of, of 613 commandments and their general definition. That's something you can cover in 40 days. Especially if you're not sleeping. Why would people... Just, That's not too crazy. Like, the fact that he's talking to Hashem is already a miracle, so why simplify it and try to get... Like, is it? Is it not? Like, no, it's not. That's not a miracle. Like, and, and this is the fundamental difference between Moshe Rabbeinu and every other prophet. Though that's not a miracle. It's Moshe Rabbeinu was the only individual who perfected himself enough that he could see reality as it was. That's how you talk to God. That's kind of a cool idea. It's not like God opens in the clouds and starts talking to you. It's, no, he's actually there. You just don't see him. And it's only through protecting, it's only through uh, 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 developing your 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 moral compass, what you do is most important. How you see the world is most important. How you develop that, that enables you to see God. He's there all along. And if you don't see him, you don't see him. And it's kind of, it's interesting. It's like yeah, it's not. I'm not trying to be cute. It kind of, it's, it, you could, it's not semantics. Like that's a, that's a, that's a, that's a serious implication because a nace is unearned, and it's and it's almost like it's kind of an ejector seat. It's like things are so bad, I got to prove I exist. It's kind of an ejector seat, you know. But this other way of seeing it, this what prophecy is, that's not an ejector seat. That's you were able to develop yourself. You made yourself a better person. That's you doing it right. That's not you needing help. That's you doing it right. That, that's why it kind of matters, that distinction. Right. So those are the two positions. Is there a consensus? No, there is not. There are Rishonim that, that go with the first version. Seems like the Rambam goes with the first version of he received the, the general rules, he got the 13, 13 uh, hermeneutical rules, and that was it. Seems to be. And other Rishonim say, no, no way, he got the whole thing. And that's the breakdown of that. So it's like, what do you believe? 
What do you, what do you have to believe? Issues like this, you have to be sensitive to two things. Number one is, well, you kind of have to do the work yourself. You know, like, there is no shulchan aruch on beliefs within Judaism. There are the 13 principles of faith, like those are have the status of halacha, like that you got to get down, you know. But issues like this, well, no, it, it kind of is like people do see the world differently. People see the world differently because <coughs> we have different personalities. The Be'er Sheva, he's a, one of the commentaries in the Shochan Aruch, talks about, well, how do you decide halacha? And it is a logical process. It's a process that, that does require a lot of effort and conscientiousness. Um, but there's a certain point where personality does play a role in things. And, well, these sorts of issues, who you are does determine what you see. So that's one thought you have to keep in mind when tackling these issues. The second is you don't want to be made fun of and get your kids kicked out of school. There are trends in society. There are communities in this world that would favor the first position over the second. There are communities that favor the second, and there are implications. So it's like... When it comes to halacha, there is a shulchan aruch. When it comes to halacha, governing how we, how we uh, define morality, that's important stuff we have to come to a consensus on. These issues, you work hard in it, but also don't get yourself hurt. It's not, it's not worth, not worth uh, getting slugged up over. So know who you're with. That's, that's an that's a advice I would give. At the same time, you got to also... Fight for what you think is true as well. So it's not exactly clear cut what you do with what you believe. You have to, every situation is a bit different. That's life. That's why there's a hierarchy of values. Not every moment is the same. It actually calls for different, different things to take precedence. You know, so that's, that's important to think about. Tove? <laughs> Tove. Tove. All right, so you guys are heading out. You're heading out. Yes. Thank you. Not for heading out, but like, thank you for coming. And like, this is, I mean, this, giving this class has been helpful to me, and I hope it's been helpful to you. But yes. like, I want you to know it was helpful to me, and like, I appreciate that. Like, it was nice to, I got a chance to do this with y'all. Yeah. So.